Hello and welcome to The Automators. My name is Rosemary Orchard and I am joined today by my wonderful, not robotic yet, co-host David Sparks. Hello, David. Hello, Rosemary. How are you today? Well, I'm very glad you're not a robot. I feel like sometimes automation is trying to take over the world, but it's working nicely. Number 42. Anyway, how are you surviving? You doing okay? Uh, I'm slightly concerned about you now. Uh, I'm doing pretty well, though. How are you? Yeah, I'm great. I'm great. And I'm looking forward to today's show. Um, we've got a guest on today that is not new to Rosemary, but is new to the automators. Welcome to the show, Scotty Jackson. Hi, David. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, hi, Rose. Fancy meeting you here. <laughs> hi, Scotty. Nice to meet you in, in a slightly different alternate universe. Yeah, so Scotty is a, a digital corporate communications leader in Canada, and he is the co-host of the Nested Folders podcast with Rosemary, where they talk about a lot of stuff, productivity. But you know what? It seems like automation and productivity, there's just such an overlap with people who are interested in those two topics, myself included, honestly. And uh, and Rose was talking to Scotty about some of the automation stuff he's doing. We're like, oh, man, we got to get him on the show. So I'm glad yeah. That yeah. you joined us, Scotty. Oh, I'm really excited to be here. This is uh, this is really cool, and I agree. You know, automation and productivity are kind of two sides of the same coin, where you, you know, where you intersect technology to solve problems with, you know, philosophies and mental models that solve problems. Uh, to me, that you know, things like, you know, shortcuts and the kinds of automations that I'm, you know, technically capable of doing come right in the middle there. Yeah, the the trick to mm -hmm. it really is. Um, there is a there's a line where uh, automation or tech tech wizardry becomes an excuse not to be productive and um <laughs> you got to like find that line but if you're rational about it it actually can make a huge difference i, I know for me it, it does every day i mean there's a ton of stuff i do that i don't need to hire anybody and it gets done way faster because i've taken mm -hmm. the time to automate it yeah i have exactly the same experience i was there looking at something the other day going should i hire somebody to do this and it's like no i should build a shortcut that does it for me that's the correct solution to that problem because i don't have to train somebody i don't have to fire find somebody to hire them and i don't have to pay them um which when you are a, a individual person of course is a large overhead paying for an entire other person uh, yeah. so um, i'm enjoying the automation side of things there yeah, I mean, but but it, it does. There, there. All I guess we should just acknowledge it. You can go crazy with this stuff and not actually be productive. So, so there, there is a line yes. in there. And now, Scotty, you also blog, right? I do. I, I write a blog at heyscottyj.com where I share like some of the shortcuts that I write or some of the ways that I'm thinking about some of the problems that I bump into. And uh, and I'm really excited to talk today about some of the kind of newer problems that I've been able to solve with with shortcuts and uh, data jar. Nice, nice. Well, you did say the magic words there, data jar, because we, we mentioned it on the last show. We've already had a whole bunch of feedback about, you know, people wanting to know how you can use data jar and so on. So I, I, if they come up in, if it comes up in your shortcuts uh, and your automations, then I'm sure people are going to love hearing about it even more. It's, it's really made um, a lot of shortcuts much more uh, recyclable for me, if, if that's a way of thinking about it. Mm -hmm. Like one of the things that I found was that I have this really large automation that I'll probably talk about later uh, that relies on some complex dictionaries uh, that I built in it in order to, for it to be able to do what it needs to do. And I thought, you know, wow, there are other ways in which I would love to, you know, extend this or have other shortcuts that are kind of 
related, but because the dictionaries are so hard to rebuild in shortcuts, it's just like there's there's no point to that whatsoever. But um, now that there's data jar and I can put dictionaries in data jar that multiple shortcuts can borrow from, now that you know data structure becomes much more utile, and I can use it in different ways, which I'm which I'm pretty jazzed about. Yeah. Uh, that, that I mean, it's just really cool. And we are going to get to that later. But before we get there, I want to just kind of talk about how did you get started with automation? I mean, for me, like getting into automation, I'm I'm not a programmer, but I'm a nerd. So yeah. I, I need something that is, um, in air quotes, like for me in terms of, you know, like I, I don't know how to write JavaScript. I don't know how to write Apple script. Those are things like way above my pay grade. But you know, when I first got a computer in my home when I was a kid, my brother, who is nine years my elder, uh, started learning basic. And so he taught me basic. And so um, that was, I guess, my first foray into some things was that I could go and read like a story in this linear fashion. So scripting has always been, I guess, a little bit more appealing to me than mm -hmm. um, programming per se. Um, and if I have an itch big enough, I will figure out how to scratch it. So in, in like in the mid to late nineties, um, you know, while everyone else was discovering the World Wide web, I was like so deep in IRC. Uh, that was what I was doing like all the time online. Uh, uh, so I started developing like IRC scripts in this app called MIRC, which is what I used to chat to, you know, props to my FNet folks, uh, from 1996. Um, th that was, I guess my first, you know, real automation-y type work. Um, and then when, you know, iOS shortcuts came around, like I I experimented with Automator on the Mac and found it to be, I don't know, I, I, I like the intent is there, but it, the execution just felt a little kind of clunky. But when Workflow mm -hmm. came around, um, I, I was immediately switched on because I'm like, here's something I understand, you know, visual squares and it starts at the top and it runs through to the bottom. I get this. We're, we're, we're stringing together like defined actions. I, I get that. And so when Apple acquired it and it became shortcuts and it evolved that much more, um, just more and more I'm finding, you know, ways to, to work with that. And I feel like shortcuts is a thing that like as a, as a wannabe automator, that is like for me. Okay, so just let me be clear. You're not a wannabe automator. You mm. you write scripts. You're an automator. You know. Okay. But but that's yes. I think that's true for a lot of us. I mean, I've got some Xcode projects that I occasionally dip into, and I've watched enough courses that I can kind of build an app. You know, a lousy app, but that's not my forte. I mean, that's something that that's a discipline that you have to really spend a lot of time to get good at. Whereas mm -hmm. my angle to all this, and I go back with you, Scotty, I was on the Atari ST when you were on your Commodore, but the, um, but you know, making applications work together. That's the, you know, that's what automators do. We, mm -hmm. we glue things together so we don't have to click the mouse and type the keyboard as much, but still get the same work done. And, and that's exactly what you're accomplishing with uh, with shortcuts. So I I think, brother, you're an automator. I guess so. Thank you. I mean, I, I like I like thinking about the outcome and the action more than the app. Whereas I think it it's really easy to think about the app as the thing, but um, thinking discreetly about like the things that I want to accomplish and what what my end goal is, uh, gives me different ways to maybe solve the problem. You know, when you were talking about Automator and where it falls short, to me, Automator is was a beautiful idea that just didn't get 
the traction or support it needed. Mm-hmm. And I have this, yeah. you know, I, and mm-hmm. I, I don't know this is first, I don't have first-hand knowledge of this. Sal doesn't talk about, you know, stuff back in Apple, but I, I just can't help but think that, you know, he was banging on lots of doors trying to get resources to build Automator. Because it's like the building blocks were there, but it didn't go, it didn't continue the way mm-hmm. that Workflow and, and Shortcuts has. And it's like even yeah. just today, we're going to talk about an app that was made by a third party that adds functionality to the Apple's automation platform. I mean, that just never happened for Automator, which I'll, I'll always feel bad about, you know. Yeah, yeah. And it even went so far with Automator, like Microsoft removed their actions for Automator when they released a new version of Word, Excel, and, and PowerPoint, which I personally find to be a real shame because they had actions there before which could convert things to PDFs and stuff like that. Just doesn't exist nowadays. But the good news is we do have shortcuts. So. They probably just didn't have a way to write them. Well, yeah, and they probably didn't work with the new version, um, which is a real shame. But there we go. This episode of Automators is brought to you by Hrefs. Whether you work for a big brand, run your own small business, or do freelance work, getting traffic to your website is always a challenge. There's just so much competition out there. Hrefs is an all-in-one SEO toolset that solves that problem. It gives you all the tools you need to rank your website in Google and get tons of search traffic. SEO has always been a mystery to me. There are people out there touting things which, on the surface of it, look all right, and then you find out that actually those have been blacklisted by Google for years. Knowing what you can actually do today, that's the challenge. So something like Hrefs makes it easy because it tells you exactly what you should be doing and what you can do to make your life easier and to get the results that you want. It uncovers all of those mysteries. Hrefs uncovers how your competitors are getting traffic and why. You can see the pages and content that send them the most traffic, and you can get estimated search volumes with their Keyword Explorer tool. So you can see how well a piece of content is likely to perform before you spend that precious time writing it. Hrefs has a ton of useful stuff, like Content Explorer, which can help you find guest blogging opportunities, and a Rank Tracker, which lets you track your progress on certain keywords. It'll even pick up broken backlinks and help you fix them. Take the mystery out of SEO. Go to Hrefs dot com right now that's a h r e f s dot com sign up for their seven day free trial for just seven dollars get reports on your website see what's performing well and figure out your next move whether you have a personal website you want to get a following on or your website needs more traffic to convert sales go there now com and get that seven dollar free trial our thanks to hrs for their support of automators and all of really fm uh, Scotty, you mentioned that you have a couple of automations lined up for us here that you, you would be willing to share with all of the people listening at home. What's your first automation, the one that you, you realized solved a problem here in, in your list of little options that we have? Sure. I, I guess the first one that I have that I like that I use um, fairly frequently is what I call my like one-on-one meeting prepper. And so the goal of this one is... You know, if I'm going into a one-on-one meeting with either my boss or the team that I support or a peer, um, I like to prepare them and say like, hey, here are some of the things that I'm going to want to talk about um, in the course of this. So uh, I run the shortcut. And the shortcut, what it does is it presents me with a list of people uh, for whom it is, you know, recognize, it will recognize. And uh, based on my choice, it dips into a data jar dictionary that has uh, that person's uh, name and a whole bunch of values under them. Uh, and it'll grab mm-hmm. 
their first name and their email address, and it'll compose uh, an email to them, like saying to email address, hi, first name. Um, you know, here's the things that I want to talk about in our meeting. And then below that, it will add a list of tasks that are available that it grabs from OmniFocus uh, that are tagged with that person's name. So it uses, you know, find tags uh, action in OmniFocus uh, to be able to determine, you know, here, here are the um, here are the actions that should be included and put them in a lovely little bullet point list, uh, you know, uh, and then, you know, look forward to chatting with you and uh, my email signature. And then all I really have to do is click send. So I can give it the quick once over and make sure that all of the content there, I mean, it's also a neat check for me. So I can say, hey, is there anything on the back of my mind that is not showing up on this list that maybe should? Uh, so I get mm-hmm. that quick little checkpoint. So a lot of times I'll run the shortcut hit cancel, <laughs> go to OmniFocus, realize oh, I need to update some things and uh, and then come back and rerun it. OmniFocus got some nice um, automation uh, hooks into shortcuts with some of their recent updates. Uh, and that is one of them, you know, to, to find tasks. Um, you want to just walk us through kind of the step-by-step how you're doing this? Sure. I mean, what I can do too is I can share uh, a link to the... Um, to the shortcut as well so that people could uh, download it for themselves. Obviously, it'll break at the data jar uh, point, uh, but people could get a sense of it, you know, otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, but w- w- what it will do is, it, yeah, it first says, you know, uh, it will get a list of options based on my data jar, jar dictionary. So if I want to mm-hmm. add a team member, I would add them into that into that dictionary. So pick one. Uh, and then based on the one I pick, uh, first it goes into OmniFocus and it says find tags where the title contains the first name of the person I've picked. So in every person's um, dictionary, uh, I have a discrete record for first name, last name, full name, email address, and a couple others that I'll get to later. Um, and then uh, it will go into OmniFocus and it'll say find available items where the tag contained, where the result of the tag uh, of their first name uh, is found. And Mm -hmm. then for each one it finds, it does a little repeat with each to say, you know, dash space, and then the title of the task that it finds. Essentially what I'm doing is I'm building a little markdown list. Um, Mm -hmm. so, So then that feeds into a larger sort of text block that says, you know, hi, first name, you know, ahead of our meeting, I want to share a list of things that I thought would be good to go over it includes the repeat results, uh, adds my email signature at the bottom, and then does a make rich text from Markdown action to take mm-hmm. that as Markdown. And that's how I get the lovely bullet point list. And then it sends that into a mail action of, you know, send the rich text from Markdown to the email address of the person who I originally chose uh, based on the value that it gets from DataJar. Um, as, uh, and then the subject line is, first name and Scotty one-on-one topics. So mm-hmm. uh, it's got all of that sort of, it, it looks like a bespoke email. It doesn't feel um, pre-formatted, even though it is. And and that's one of the things that um, I oddly thought probably maybe too much about actually in building this was that I wanted an automated email that didn't feel like an automated email. So I was very conscientious of, of the text that I put in and does it match my voice and does it sound like me? Is this how I would write this email if I had written it myself 
each and every time. Yeah, and I think that's something that is is worth considering with some automations because sending out a canned email before, um, you know, exactly 24 hours before a one-to-one meeting that has a list of project items in it that actually you discussed last week and they've been, since been resolved and everybody's aware that they've been resolved doesn't that's not a good automation but the the update that you've you've got there where where you go and you hit cancel once you see the email and you go no that's not right and you go back to omnifocus i think that that's a important step that is well worth building into a lot of automations you know no actually i'm going to go tweak the input and then run it again that makes sense to me i agree i i sneak in a quick view action um, a lot of times into a lot of shortcuts and I'll leave it there when my shortcut is like a, for lack of a better term, 1.0 until I am super comfortable that it works every time I run it and that it's producing the right sort of content before I remove that quick look later. There's a couple things you do there um, I'd like to address. And the first is, I guess not all the listeners are familiar with DataJar. It's a new application and um, kind of explain how it works and and why creating your dictionaries in data jar makes more sense than in the specific shortcut. Sure. So data jar essentially lets you add uh, variables that can be referenced by any shortcut later. And you can store them in a variety of ways. You can store them, you know, as numbers, as text, as booleans, as uh, dictionaries or lists. Um, and what's really great about them is, you know, like I said, I've got this dictionary that was, you know, confined to a shortcut that has you know, my team members information. So, um, uh, you know, not like super private information, like social security number or anything like that, but like referential information, like first name, last name, email address, as well as maybe API keys that relate to them in certain other applications. So that mm-hmm. um, now any email related shortcut that I want to run, I don't have to rebuild that dictionary every single time for the team that I support. I can have all kinds of different shortcuts that now have a relationship or interaction with some of my team members' information without needing to write a dictionary inside of every shortcut. And so that immediately unlocks my creativity saying, well, now that I'm not constrained by having to make all of these crazy dictionaries and actions Every time I want to make a shortcut about something, uh, how many different shortcuts might I make that would become that would become useful? And I think it lowers the barrier to entry into a particular automation because it takes so many steps out. I think when I think about what's worth automating and what isn't, I immediately think of like how much upfront work is it going to be, and is that upfront work going to feel fun, like I'm learning something, or is it going to feel like repetitive and non-value add because I'm doing that same thing that I did before? Um, mm-hmm. And so data jar certainly helps the barrier to entry in a lot of ways for me that way. Yeah. A couple of things you've said there that I'd, I'd like to emphasize is number one, I think it's easier to create a dictionary in data jar, just the way the app is set up. Mm-hmm. Um, as much as I love shortcuts, anything that's like text focused or or something like a dictionary, it's just not that easy to create it, especially on the iPhone. But even on the iPad, they don't really give you a lot of room in that blocked work. Um, so I would say that's better. Another thing, problem that you solved that that one that I frankly am still facing, so I'm going to have to use this idea, is um, just the idea of addressing an email to a specific person 
out of a group of people, you know, like if you, you can write a script very easily in shortcuts, it says send Rosemary an email that says these things in it. But what if it's not always Rosemary? Um, there is a selection in shortcuts that lets you choose from your contact list, but my contact list is massive and um, going through it or even searching it, it doesn't always do. Uh, it just feels to me like a point of friction mm-hmm. to such that, Quite often, I make those um, scripts where there is no inquiry as to the address. See, I just leave it blank and then go add it at the end. But using a dictionary, if you had a limited group of people, it'd be a lot easier to automate that. It's true. And you can also store some other things in a dictionary that are are bespoke needed by your shortcut and know that it, it's there for you. So one of the other aspects that I store in the dictionary for all of my team members are pronouns. Yeah. So so if I structure an email to a client that says, hey, your work has been assigned to full name of assignee, period, pronoun will be in touch with you in the next 48 hours to decide on next steps or something like that. And that that may be a he or a she, right? Uh, he, she, they, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So that that gives me the opportunity to make an email feel that much more natural, um, yeah. and that much more personalized. With and I, it, it seems like the littlest thing, uh, but it makes me feel a lot better about the automated email that I'm sending because I feel like it's being just just that much more tailored. Yeah, I've been using a a variable called he, she, its for. 20 years when I automate document generation for exactly the same reason. Mm -hmm. And there's also his, her, you know, you've got to, you've got to like address all of those various iterations. That's right. I also have one for myself as I. I think the other thing which uh, you didn't really touch on Scotty, though you kind of came up is that you can use this one dictionary in a lot of different shortcuts, which means that if something changes, so say for example, somebody changes their preferred first name, um, then you can go and change that once in data jar. And then that is reflected across all of your shortcuts. Um, and that makes such a big difference. You don't have to go and change 20, 30 shortcuts and you don't know where that isn't changed. You change it once in data jar and then all of your shortcuts update because they're all using the same data source. And I, I feel like that's why people want like a database type thing in the background of many shortcuts. Absolutely. And and at the same time too. So yes, A, it's marriage proof. And B, um, if I uh, have a new team member, I just have to onboard them in one place. And now all of a sudden they are available Mm -hmm. to all of those same shortcuts in the same way. Yes. And I guess as well, if you want to add a field to all of your team members, then that's easy enough to do because you can do that inside of shortcuts and say, okay, so what's this field going to be called? Do that. And then it pops up and it asks you for each individual person in your dictionary what that is so that you can then just go ahead and and add one field to everybody and then it's done um, and it's in the same format for everybody. I presume you do the onboarding by duplicating the record inside of the dictionary in in DataJar. And that is something that is not possible inside dictionaries and shortcuts, which is like in data jar, mm-hmm. I can long press on something and I have the option to duplicate it. So if if uh, I, I want, and what I have done so far to date is I'll just tap and hold on a team member and I'll say duplicate, and then I'll just go and make all of the records in there unique to the new, to the new person. And so that gives me an, a checklist to make sure that I don't, um, you know, incorrectly classify the fields or miss one or something like that. I was thinking about Scotty's problem of trying to avoid it look like it came from a robot. Um, 
I think the uh, one way, to, and I'm just thinking out loud here, so Rose will tell me where I'm wrong, but you could have various versions of that text entry box for the email where you could have different phrasings. And then you could, if you want to be really tricky, you could throw a random number generator in shortcuts and pick one. So it <laughs> randomly picks from like 10 different emails every time. Maybe maybe have one with a typo in it. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, that's a, good, a typo. That's a good idea. But the uh, that, that you could do something I like that. Put a typo that. in an email address. Yeah. No, no, I'm talking about in the text like of the email. But yeah, you could make it oh, sound like it. Yeah, I I get accused of this all the time from listeners. Um, I do use Text Expander a lot for email responses, but I also type out by hand a lot of responses because people write me questions that don't really lend themselves to a a snippet. And then they write me back and they're like, wow, that was really, that was a really great snippet, you know? And I'm like, actually, I typed that. That wasn't a snippet. <laughs> yeah. Well, the trick is, is to occasionally have it replace a full stop and a space with a full stop and two spaces and just do it randomly because that will drive pretty much anybody up the wall very quickly. Um, and it will also make it look like it's, that's a very divisive topic, whether it should be one or two spaces after the full stop. I don't know where the, the two of you stand, and I don't want to ask that question because afterwards we may not be friends. I do. So I think we'll just leave it there. I do. Where, where do you stand on this, Rose? You, this is <sighs> One space, because you can yeah. actually make it look like two spaces with formatting if you need that, but you typing it just drives me up the wall. Yeah, when I was in seventh grade in 19... 19- 70 something um they uh they made me learn how to type with two spaces but i quickly got rid of that as soon as i got on a computer i, I think with a uh, fixed font two spaces that's that that's the only place i can see justifying two spaces after the period but i, I don't do it at all anymore i don't think anything can justify two spaces yeah there we go all right so <laughs> wow. we're in agreement there we go we can all be friends today that's good okay now do the oxford comma okay um <laughs> Do you really want to go there? Well, that, that's another divisive topic, but uh, is it's an Oxford comma and Oxford's not that far away from me. I feel like I have to be in favor of it. Makes more sense. But anyway. It saves lives, honestly. Uh, anyway. anyway. Uh, Rose, if, if we were going to do that thing, that crazy thing I was talking about, um, I guess I would do it. Tell me a better way to do this. I guess I would just th- uh, do a random number generation and then tie it to a choose from list or some sort of um, selection from multiple text boxes. You think of a better way to do that? So what you would do, I would I would suggest that you would have, um, and so you would start by creating the text in the actual text box inside of Shortcut yeah. so that you can put your variables in the right place. Yeah. Um, and then you would cut and paste that into a list. But then just use the get item from list action because there's a random option yes, in there. Yes, that's, that's, that's a better way. Yeah. And then it can just pick a random one of those for you. And it will prepare all of them every time. Um, but, you know, it takes milliseconds to do in shortcuts, especially if you're on one of these fancy new uh, 12.9-inch iPad Pros, which I, I hear that people are looking at, and I'm not. I, I want well, the other ones. Um, but, uh, yeah, they, it, you won't notice the difference with generation time, and you could create as many of those as you like. Yeah. And that's the other option as well. If you, if, you, if you need to create multiple different emails with these, instead of creating one shortcut for each email, depending on what data goes into it, if it's always the same data... Um, you know, even though it's all accessing the one data jar shortcut, then of course you could just put these in there and have a list of the different email options. Or if you really want to get fancy, have a dictionary of the different email options and then pick from the name 
of the options. So it might be a welcome uh, to my team email followed by a, um, and a the, this is the contact information for these people um, email and stuff like that. You, you may want to put that all in one shortcut and you could store those in a dictionary. And you could do, you could do two different uh, um, data jar dictionaries to feed that one shortcut. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. You, you could do all sorts of things. Uh, the world is your oyster or rather the data jar contains oysters. Uh, or pearls, depending on your point of view. So th- I think the reason why all of us are so excited about Data Jar, and I think we may have to give this this app a show at some point, but the um, it's just it's great to have universal variables slash files slash dictionaries that you know you can always rely upon in shortcuts, and not have to mm-hmm. go through the pain and suffering of trying to create them in shortcuts. Um, I we absolutely you know, we just talked in the last episode. I'm using it. Uh, for some tax forms that are just in data jar that get sent out and I don't have to base 64 encode them and deal with all that nonsense. It's just a, you know, it's just an external storage mechanism. It's like a, an attached drive to shortcuts and it's amazing. And once you start wrapping your head about that, you can think of all sorts of good uses for it. Especially when the data is like completely inscrutable or or non kind of nonsensical uh, to to type, and I'm thinking of things like, you know, like an API key or a universal identifier or something like that that might reference another database somewhere. Yeah, uh, having that stored and available all the time is super useful. Has anyone tried to connect um, Data Jar to like an Airtable database where they can pull records out automatically into Data Jar? <clears throat> Maybe I, I'm just dreaming here, but I don't know if that's possible. <laughs> I so I've tried it a little bit, but uh, in general, the things I store in Data Jar are things where um, I, at the time, current point in time, don't have it connected to the internet necessarily. Yeah. Um, whereas Airtable is for stuff that needs to be updated automatically. So, say for example, being assigned a show at Screencast Online, like that's much better off in Airtable, and it's easy enough to pull that data out of Airtable. Um, on my iPhone, I'm using the Airtable API for this. So I have been experimenting with Shortcutify, which is a new app on the App Store. Um, but um, I, I, I looked at syncing some of it, and then I realized that if I'm syncing some of it, either I need to do it with the Pushcut Automation Server, or I need to do it manually. And if you have to do it manually, then that means that it's not going to get done. Um, so I decided that for the time being, I was better off leaving that alone and thinking about, you know, why am I trying to solve this problem this way and coming back to it later from uh, another point of view. Yeah, well, it's easy to fall into that earlier discussed productivity trap. But the uh, I was just curious. Because I, <laughs> I, I've been using DataJar, but I've been manually adding data to it. I have not automated the process of populating DataJar, but it's an idea. Like I said, we're going to come back to this. Uh, we'll probably do a show on data jar at some point. This episode of the Automators is brought to you by Pingdom. Go to pingdom.com slash RelayFM and start monitoring your website performance and availability today. And also get instant alerts when an outage occurs or a site transaction fails. Use offer code AUTOMATORS to get 30% off. While you've been listening to this podcast, how would you like to know if your website has gone down? Would you like to know if customers couldn't click that buy now button or access your content? You might stumble across the problem by luck, but that's no good. You need a system. What you really need is something to tell you everything is running smoothly on your site and more importantly, when it's not. In short, you need Pingdom. Pingdom detects around 13 million outages every month. That's more than 400,000 outages per day. 
Pingdom helps keep your sites and the sites you love online. It doesn't matter if you're a startup or a Fortune 500 company, you need alerts about any critical website issues. And with Pingdom, it'll let you customize how you're alerted depending on the severity of the outage. Plus, they'll track and analyze your website's load time so you can see what's affecting the user experience. So go to pingdom.com slash RelayFM right now for a 14-day free trial with no credit card required. Then, when you sign up, use the code AUTOMATORS, A-U-T-O-M-A-T-O-R-S, at checkout to get a huge 30% off your first invoice. Thanks to Pingdom from SolarWinds for the support of the Automators and all of RelayFM. So, Scotty, you mentioned earlier that you have a larger automation that we would get to. Um, and I've seen a few keywords from this. Uh, what interested me most is that this this list includes, as well as shortcuts and data jar, it also includes agenda and omnifocus. So I'm wondering, what what is this automation um, and what is it doing? Uh, this is kind of bananas. And I, I will say that I have probably spent about probably over upwards of 20 hours fully developing this shortcut over the last six months. But every time I run it, it saves about an hour and a half of manual work, and it also ensures accuracy. So it has more than paid for itself uh, in terms of time. <clears throat> so um, my team at work, we get uh, project requests by virtue of internal teams saying, hey, we'd like to work with you guys on this project. We fill out your web form, they click submit, and I get an email. Um, what I wanted to do was find a way of properly storing uh, the content of that request form in a place that made sense for me, um, as well as plot out you know, what actions do we have to take based on this project uh, for me. Uh, that's where OmniFocus comes in. And what actions does my team need to take about this? And we have this online project management solution called Rike, uh, W-R-I-K-E. And uh, what Rike does is it, it, you know, if you're familiar with something like uh, Asana or online project management, very much like that, you know, it's a shared collaborative project management and task management tool. So uh, I wanted to simplify the process of information getting from this email into all of those places. So uh, what I've done is I've built this shortcut that uh, first uh, starts with uh, JSON uh, that I've had inserted into the notification email that I get about the project so that I've got something that I can parse. Um, I select that and then on my iPad or iPhone, I select share and then I share it to a shortcut. And that shortcut takes that JSON and formats it neatly and places it in a stored note in agenda. So now I've got like a snapshot of here is the original request. And yes, of course it's stored in the database of the web server, uh, but now I've got it sort of locally to me and, and I can get at it uh, without having to go anywhere else. Uh, it then says, okay, uh, who on your team are you assigning this work to? And then it says, okay, in Rike, where does this project belong? We've got different folders, structures for, you know, what, which, you know, folders contain which kinds of projects. Uh, and I choose that. And both the team member selection and Rike folder are referencing dictionaries and data jar. So this is what I was getting at. Like each of these, each of those things, the team member to whom it's assigned 
and the folder in which it's going to live both have these like inscrutable API keys associated with them. So it dives into DataJar based on my choices then and grabs the appropriate API key for the person it's going to assign the work to and the folder in which it's going to live. Then it goes to Rike and it builds that project, adds some tasks and assigns them to the right person in the right place. It then goes into OmniFocus and creates a project for me uh, based on the the request uh, with some actions to follow up. And then it gives me a list of four different choices for email template uh, to send back to uh, the client who's requesting. And I can you know say whether it's assigned to, to someone else or if I've declined to actually want to work on it or <laughs> something like that. Um, and so it'll It'll pre-populate then that email with you know the person to whom it's assigned, and uh, then after I click send on that, it generates a second email to the person I assigned the work to with a link back to the task in Rike based on capturing the URL to it um, in the building process, uh, and uh, and 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 that's that. So it's it's populating agenda, OmniFocus, and Rike all with the appropriate details, all with the, you know, custom fields properly filled out, ready to go. And I, you know, doing some time in motion work, that's probably about 30 to 45 minutes if you were to do it by hand, you know, copying and pasting Mm -hmm. all the bits and bobs from an email. Yeah. Uh, And and of course would be massively error prone, uh, especially for me. Um, So it's, it's large and convoluted, uh, but it's super valuable. And that's where, you know, having data jar is really useful too, because, you know, now that I've got all of my Rike API keys for these individual people in data jar, well, now I can reuse that. So now I can make a simpler workflow. So last night I made a quick little, oh, you know what? I would really like to make tasks in Rike based on just sketching out some plain text and drafts. So I just banged out a, a shortcut where I, I could, you know, separate each uh, draft by line uh, and then create a new task in you know a given project based on uh, and assigned to a person based on the text itself, where I can say like at Sally or at James, and the shortcut just quickly parses out their name, looks it up in data jar, and says ah that's the API key for Sally or that's the API yeah. key for James. Mm-hmm. So uh, like that's where the recycling comes in. Is now I can I can just do these you know, what would be a lot of work kind of shortcuts to do before are very simple to do now. It's really interesting to me when people combine shortcuts with web-based automation, because I really Mm -hmm. feel like that is such a natural fit. But I think for a lot of users, it's a tough hurdle for them to, to get beyond the, you know, like I'm going to make a shortcut that gives me the weather. But then once I wanted to go out on the internet and do something, that becomes a block for them. But, you know, the the pieces you're talking about here are really the building blocks of that. Usually when you go to a website, you've got to have a API key or some unique URL to get into your account. And uh, it, talk a little bit about the integration for folks who have, I mean, I know Rike is a unique platform, but a lot of them work the same. Uh, can you just talk a little bit about that? Sure. I mean, I, I I had to have a big enough itch to scratch because I knew nothing about APIs or HTTP requests until I started building this shortcut. Um, just because, like, I'd just been spending so much time manually doing things in this web platform that has a robust API. Um, 
I was like, you know what? It's time to learn how to figure out how to do this stuff because uh, because I'm going to use it enough that it makes learning it valuable. Um, so, I mean, shortcuts structures it very nicely. Like it says, you know, you you get content of URL. So the input of that action is a URL, which can have variables in it. Um, and then, you know, it basically helps you structure that. And, and then it says, you know, here are all the fields that you want to either, you know, get back or, or put in. And, um, the one thing that I found a little bit interesting is that in web API speak, a lot of things are like these kind of complex arrays, which in shortcuts would actually be a dictionary as opposed to an array. Uh, which is just sort of a flat list in in shortcuts. So I found that a little bit complicated to get my head around. Um, but I think getting to a point where I recognized, you know what, I'm not going to be able to break it. Like it's mm-hmm. not, uh, it's worth taking a, taking a stab at. So I would say that there was definitely a learning curve there. But once I, you know, had my light bulb moment, I just realized, okay, it's it's really just kind of like a table of information that I'm sending of, you know, here's the field, here's the value, here's the field, here's the value, and so on. Um, getting to that point was tough. But once I got to that point, I realized, okay, there is some cool stuff that I could do here. And so now I'm starting to think about other web apps that I use that might have, you know, an API that would be worth, you know, trying to kick around. Yeah, and there's really two pieces of that. The first piece is, like you said, it's sending the information into the web API, but you're also collecting information back into your automation. Like I believe one of the steps you said is you send the URL to the team member for the project because you're creating the, the project in in this application, in this web app in the process of, of um, your automation, but you're grabbing the URL for that. And um, that that's kind of the second level to me. It's like once you understand how to put data in, you also want to learn how to get data out. I I agree. And it's interesting to think about like the response that you get when, so even when you put something in, you get a response back. And so in shortcuts, what you can do, especially if that response comes in the form of JSON is say, you know, get dictionary from input. And then you've got a dictionary of all of the JSON that comes back when you do an API call and you can use that data further on. So for example, when I create a project in Rike, uh, the response contains the identifier of the project I've just made. So if I want to pass that identifier on to further actions that might add tasks now specifically to that project, uh, I can do that. And I think one of the one of the things that you said, which which really jumped with me, is you had an itch to scratch, and that's that's when you figured out how to how to do the the web based stuff because you hadn't done it before. And I, I feel like that's. You know, a lot of people are like, oh, I, I kind of have a vague interest in in automating something with Airtable and shortcuts. But if you don't really have a need to do it, then it can feel like a lot of work to get started. So I, I think the key there is, is you found is it finding the right problem that you need to solve. And then you'll, you know, you'll make the effort to, to get interested in it and figure it out because, you know, there's a result and it saves you how many hours of work every time you run it. Well, you you'll have to tell us. But if the, the if it saves, you know, even five minutes of work, it's going to pay off eventually. So That's exactly it. I, I mean, yeah, I don't feel like I'm particularly creative minded when it comes to automation. Um, but if I observe myself doing the same stuff over and over again, and it gets annoying enough, uh, then that's where I think, okay, you know what, it's time to roll up my sleeves and figure out what to do about this. 
I mean, and another point for me, I, mean, I was talking earlier about, you know, where does productivity and automation collide? And uh, although for, in my own case, I find coming up with automation relaxing. It's like something I do in my downtime. It's like a game for me. And especially apps like Shortcuts really make it a game because, you know, it's very easy to see the results immediately. And then you start thinking, well, how could I do this faster or more efficiently? And um, I will spend an evening as, you know, my wife is playing a game on her iPad. I'll be sitting there building an automation. We're both pushing the right chemicals out in our brains. Mm -hmm. I confess to doing the same thing. I will sit there and it's like, do I want to play Animal Crossing on my, on my Nintendo Switch or do I want to build shortcuts? And it usually ends up being 50-50 right now. But uh, Animal Crossing wins every once in a while. But building automations definitely is good fun. I got such a dopamine rush too, like when I tap the shortcut and I know that like 38 minutes of work is taking place in the space of five seconds. Like that just yes. feels so nice. Yeah, yes. Agreed. And it's it's 38 minutes of work that it has been done right because you programmed it to be done right. Um, so you don't have mm. to worry about, oh, wait, and did I forget to send the email to the person I assigned the task to? Because you know it happened because you programmed it to do that. So you're good. It's also nice. I mean, and this is a fairly recent development, but now Shortcuts does all that in the background. I mean, just a year or two ago, it would do all of that on the screen because they didn't even mm. conceive of, a, of an automation scenario in iOS. And it felt like someone took over your device. I, I kind of like that it just happens in the background now. Totally. Yeah, it's pretty nice to have it open. I split screen with drafts a lot of the time because I'm doing a lot of work in drafts. But then like as part of it, it'll be like, oh, right. And now I need to upload this screenshot here. And so, you know, I've, I actually put launch cuts on the right side of my screen now because it's then filtered down to a specific folder of, of shortcuts for me. And so I'm, you know, writing something for, you know, the sweet setup and I tap it. And it's like, OK, so here are the last five screenshots you took. Like which one of these you want to use? OK, that one. Great. I'm going to go. I put the URL in your clipboard for you. And then, you know, you just keep pa you paste it in 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 drafts and you keep writing. Um, and, you know, that that for me is like, yes, I've, I've saved myself like a couple of minutes of annoying work there. That's well worth it. Well, Scotty, that's a pretty uh, crazy automation. It sounds like you're using so web automation shortcuts. What was the hardest part for you to get to work? Um, I mean, definitely learning how to do API calls and the web automation, just because that, that's something I'd never, never done before. And so uh, just being able to make an API call in the first place. And then, like I say, if I want to create a, a new project and then have tasks assigned to that project, I needed to figure out how to get how to get what that new project is and, and be able to do something about that. So going through that whole that whole course was really something uh, for me. But I mean, fortunately, um, you know, like you said, you know, OmniFocus has um, actions that are super robust and wonderful. Um, Agenda doesn't have any native actions, but it has a pretty um, easy to decipher URL scheme. So uh, I found that, you know, relatively easy to work with. Um, and, and I've, you know, done a lot of shortcuts with OmniFocus and Agenda uh, in the past and, and a lot of work there. So th that part was a lot more natural to me. Mm -hmm. Just a, a nerd question. Where do you draw the line between Agenda and OmniFocus? I would say that I have uh, sort of a three ring circus going on right now between, you know, the apps that I use in my, you know, project management stack. I have OmniFocus managing all of my actionable stuff. 
I have agenda as my place where I keep all my notes about things. And then I have Devon think where I store all of the assets about things. So, um, in as much as I can, I've got, you know, kind of parallels in the, you know, folder or group organization structure between the three. Um, and I cross link the three a lot. I should say that, um, in the agenda note in my large automation that I just discussed, I include the link to the project that I built in Rike, as well as a link to the project that was made in OmniFocus. The OmniFocus also has a link to the right Rike project and a link back to agenda. So it's all cross-linked. Um, and so that's sort of the relationship between agenda and OmniFocus is your pure actions in OmniFocus, pure reference notes in agenda, uh, and uh, and then artifacts, uh, you know, PDFs, Google Docs, uh, images, maps, anything like that, that'll go in dev and think. Makes sense. Makes sense. This episode of Automators is brought to you by ExpressVPN. Working from home, you're probably not thinking much about internet privacy since you're on your own home network. We all know about incognito windows, but did you know that even in incognito mode, your online activity can still be traced? Even if you clear your browsing history, your internet service provider can see every single website you've ever visited. That's why you need ExpressVPN. They make sure that your internet service provider can't see what sites you visit. Instead, your internet connection is rerouted through their secure service. Each server has an IP address that's shared among thousands of users, meaning that everything you do is anonymized and can't be traced back. It also encrypts 100% of your data in the best-in-class encryption. I've been using ExpressVPN for months now, and it's great. I love the fact that as well as doing all of the sensible and secure things to keep my data safe, I can do things like stream BBC iPlayer while I'm on the road. It gives me a peace of mind knowing that if I just turn it on, I don't have to worry about insecure Wi-Fi networks and potential man-in-the-middle attacks. ExpressVPN is rated number one by TechRadar, Wired, The Verge, and more. Use the internet in confidence on every device. Just tap one button and you're protected. Protect your online activity today and find out how you can get three months free at expressvpn.com slash automators. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash automators for three months free with a one-year package. That URL one more time, expressvpn.com slash automators. Our thanks to ExpressVPN for their support of automators and all of Relay FM. So Scotty, uh, you had another automation that you you put in the in the Google document. We only asked you for two, but you came with three. So you brought a backup, um, and I'm sufficiently intrigued enough by this backup that I want to hear all about it. So you you called it Rapid Logger, but what what is this? What does it do, and how do you use it? So, yeah, my existential anxiety meant that I must come with more one more than you asked for, just in case one broke. So what Rapid Logger does, and I think you both discussed the daily brief uh, just a, an episode or two ago, uh, and so I do that as well. I have a daily journal, and what Rapid Logger is designed to do is give me the ability to kind of bullet journal my way through a day um, to help me, you know, in the moment reflect on and capture things that happen uh, as well as actions. So. Uh, what I can do with Rapid Logger is I launch that and it asks for input. And then, you know, line by line, I can enter, you know, uh, had dinner with friends, uh, need to think about, you know, when I'm going to clean the dishwasher uh, and, 
you know, need to also consider a project for the backyard to organize it since it sounds like that's where I'm going to have my summer vacation this year. Uh, And then I hit OK. And all of that content goes into agenda appended to my daily journal as a rapid log. So it'll have like, you know, dash, timestamp, colon, and then each individual line of text uh, that I uh, just fed it um, as a discrete entry. Um, that's sort of the basic version of how it works. If I preface a line of text in Rapid Logger with a dash, it will treat that as an action. And so when it adds that into agenda, instead of giving it a dash, you know, unordered list, it will give it a uh, checkbox uh, or checklist um, uh, iconography. And it will also add that as an item to my OmniFocus inbox. The other thing that I did was that I created a delimiter in the shortcut for the at symbol, meaning that I could type dash lookup lawn maintenance services at tags, you know, in parentheses, phone at due Friday in parentheses and hit OK. In agenda, it will look for the at sign and then ignore it and everything after. So in agenda, you'll just see an action for, or a checklist item, excuse me, that says, you know, look into lawn maintenance. Whereas in OmniFocus, it will take all of that as task paper metadata and add it to the task. So it'll add the tags that I have said and give it the, you know, due date that I have assigned it, which is cool. So now I can do on the fly bullet journaling and also, you know, uh, tasking. And then the third variant is if I add a colon to the end, it will treat that as a task paper project. So I could say, you know, lawn maintenance, colon. And if I just hit OK in um, agenda, it will now create a line that says added project in quotes, lawn maintenance to OmniFocus. And then in OmniFocus, it will actually create that project. That's pretty awesome. I was going to ask if this was based on on bullet journaling because I, I've heard a lot about bullet journaling and I love the idea of it. Um, and I was trying to figure out a way to in- implement it in my life digitally because I, I keep trying paper and pi- paper has the simple problem of if I am taking too small of a handbag because it's pretty, uh, then I can't fit the notebook in there and I can only fit my phone. So I need it to be digital. Um, and you may have just solved that problem for me. Well, I have the same problem with my handbags, you see. And uh, so I get it. Yeah. I mean, unless you happen to have a dog to carry the bag for you, then, you know, life gets complicated. Um, but I, I like the idea of having the, the the splitting of the different actions. So can you tell us about how you did this? So clearly, you know, to start with, you're using what and ask for input. Um, and then I guess you split the text and you go through each line. But then what do you do, you know, when you're going through the lines? That's right. So uh, ask for input. And then, yeah, you're right. Split text with each line. And then the first thing that it does is it says, if it begins with a dash, then I go down sort of the the, the task flow of, um, you know, then, then treat it as uh, a check mark in uh, agenda, which means I'm going to take the text of that line and I'm going to preface it with dash space, open square bracket space, close square bracket space. And then that thing. Um, sorry, even before that, I split it by at sign. And I and then I after I split by at sign, I just take the first item from list uh, in shortcuts. And then I pass that and preface it by dash space, 
open square bracket space close square bracket uh, and then that line of text and that gets added to a variable uh, a text variable that is destined for agenda um, but then I also take that full line that includes all of the at sign because that's task paper metadata and that gets added to a different variable that is now going to go to omnifocus um, there's another flow then that says okay if uh, it does it end with a colon and if it ends with a colon, uh, then it gets, you know, goes to the top of uh, a, a task paper formatted uh, variable for OmniFocus. And uh, like I said, it re uh, removes the colon uh, and uh, sends the rest to agenda as a bullet point called, you know, setup project in quotations, the name of, you know, th that line uh, in OmniFocus. Uh, and then thirdly, if it doesn't match either of those criteria, then obviously it's just a piece of text and it's just going to go to agenda as is, you know, prefaced by dash space. Um, and then so that was my first iteration. The one thing that I wanted to add to it to get a little bit clever was that I inserted uh, current uh, current date uh, with the format of no date, just time, uh, short time uh, between the dash and the the line of text so that when it when I mean, obviously, when something goes into OmniFocus, you can see the created date. Um, but in Agenda, uh, I think the only metadata is like the last modified date of the note or when the note was actually created. Uh, so I wanted, you know, time stamping for when each of these appended pieces would go in. Uh, and so that's uh, that's why I add the, the time uh, to each line item that goes into Agenda. I was just recently telling a nerd friend that the one of the best ways to use shortcuts is as a as a syntax conversion device, for lack of a better term. I mean, if you've got something, mm. some piece of information you want to convert it to use in some other uh, resource, whether it be a URL scheme or just a just um you know a for an import format for an app. But I'd never thought of the idea of uh, exporting to multiple syntax like you're doing here. I think that's really smart. Can you share that one? Uh, I think a lot of listeners would probably like to see how you do that. Absolutely. I'll, we'll include a link in, in show notes to, to that. The one thing that it, it does depend on is knowing what agenda note to append to. So I have a daily journal shortcut that's kind of its you know parent or, or sibling or certainly sure. of the same family anyway, uh, that creates a note with the long form of today's date. So it has, you know, day, comma, month, space, date, comma, our year. Uh, and then the rapid logger looks for an agenda note titled that uh, to append stuff to. Uh, so that's how I make sure that, you know, content goes to the right place on the right day. I thought agenda had a unique identifier system for their folders and projects. So you wouldn't have to do that. It it may do, but I, I couldn't think of a way in rapid logger to to know what today is. Uh, yeah. um, although I guess I, I could, I was just going to say, ah, oh, dang, my, my daily, uh, my daily shortcut could probably, um, uh, it could probably write a variable into data jar that the rapid logger could then draw from. So hmm, this may be something to play with. Um, and the other thing you could do, I would have that as a dictionary inside of data jar where you've got like today's date um, and it looks up today's date um, and then it gets the ID. And if it can't find today's date, then you could run your, then you it, you could say, oh, if that doesn't exist, then run my, my daily shortcut and then run this shortcut again. Um, 
uh, you know, or or output the output the the uh, ID after that, um, and then and then you're good to go. Or even simpler, just if it doesn't exist, just get today's current date and write it to data jar, and then work with that. Well, you need the you need a note in agenda to to write the information into yeah. though, I presume. And if, if it's usually triggered by a particular shortcut in the morning, then it might be worth it just running that. But there are plenty of ways to tackle that. But I really, I really like that idea. I feel like I'm going to be spending a bit more time with agenda in the future because uh, I, I need a bullet journal type thing, and this this seems to me like a good way to go. I'm imagining prefixing things with emoji to dictate whether it's a work related item or a personal item uh, or something like that. It's really good. They're teasing a new version too, apparently. So, hmm. I think you could also do this with day one. Um, they have some automation tools there. Um, there's a lot of ways. You could even do it with a text file, really, if you wanted. Oh, sure. You could do this with drafts. You could do this with, yeah, like you said, a text file. I mean, appending to a text file, that's that's perfectly reasonable too. Whatever, whatever you find suits you know your mental models most. Well, Scotty, thank you so much for sharing all this with us. You've got some great automations and you've been generous to share them with the audience so they can go in there and pick at them and maybe make them their own. Um, gang, if you're finding some uses for these automations, you should let Scotty know over at his uh, website. It is, see if I can remember it. It was like, heyscotty.com. Did I get it right? Heyscotty.com. Hey, Scotty J. Heyscottyj.com. Do not forget the J, but let him know. Um, also, you should listen to Scotty and Rose together over on the Nested Folders podcast, where they talk more about productivity. That's a bi-weekly, if memory serves. About the, that's about how we're up. Yes. I see it show up in my pod reader about every couple of weeks. Great show. I love listening to it, too. We are The Automators. You can find us over at relay.fm slash automators. You can find the forums at talk.automators.com. Scotty, anywhere else people should talk for you? Talk.automators.fm. FM. FM. Man, I am blowing the end of these today, aren't I? Talk.automators.fm. Scotty, uh, Twitter, uh, any other social media people should be looking for you on? My most favorite place to jam with people is on Twitter at HeyScottyJ or also by the same username on Instagram, although that's mostly just going to be pictures of my dog. Yeah, me too lately. We can't go anywhere. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I'm feeling left out of the whole dog universe. I'm thinking I may have to get a dog so we can do dog-related automation stuff, David. You should get a dog, yeah. Yeah, you definitely should. But you're going to have a little bit of a low productivity for those puppy months is all I'm going to tell you. <laughs> or I could adopt an older dog in need of a good home. There, there are options out open to me. There you go. But the... Uh, um, I, I'm trying, I'm finishing up the photos field guide as we speak. And I had all these shots planned for Disneyland and Disneyland's closed. So, uh, you guys are going to get a lot of pictures of my dog when that thing releases either way. Uh, Hey, Scotty go check it out. Scotty. Thanks so much for coming on and sharing your shortcuts. Like I said, we are the automators. Thank you to our sponsors, pingdom, hrefs, express VPN, and we will see you in a couple weeks. <laughs>